The race is on and it looks like heartaches And the winner loses all Hello and welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree Podcast. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornatal, back with you in the Brooklyn Bunker once again, fighting off this cold. I apologize at the top of the show. You're going to hear some not very good throat PTF during the course of this two-part episode, but hopefully you don't mind too much. We've got a two-part show. We're going to start off with an interview I did with Clay Sanders of 10 Strike Racing, and then I'm going to hand things over to Naomi Tucker, who has a Jerry O'Dwyer barn tour, which is very, very interesting as well, and we'll get things started off right now. And now I'd like to bring in my first guest for this edition of the In the Ring Pedigree podcast from 10 Strike Racing. It's my buddy, Clay Sanders. Clay, how are you? I'm doing great, Pete. How are you? I'm battling through this weird little illness, but it didn't it didn't grip me as badly as it did Susan. I credit the flu shot for giving me a lesser version of it, but I'm still uh, there you go. <laughs> trying to get back fully in the rhythm of my life. But but mostly things are good, and I wanted to it's start. Gotta be that, it's got to be that post in she hangover because Marshall was basically out of commission for four days when he got back from Vegas. Yeah, and he's not the only one. I've heard this from a lot of people. There was something buzzing around there. I think I somehow avoided it there. Only to get nabbed upon uh, upon return th- through uh, <laughs> through Susan, but it's it's there. There's definitely some gnarly stuff out there, but that's okay. Just gonna try to power through today, and then you know, hang out and watch racing all afternoon in bed. It won't be so bad. Uh, not at all. <laughs> I want to start off by talking about Warriors Charge, who made his uh, successful return to the races last weekend. What were you? expecting going into the race and how do you feel coming out of it we were really high on him going into that race uh brad uh was just thrilled with how this horse was training after he came back from his colic surgery uh, this fall uh, we had a pretty productive race in december at the fairgrounds he didn't get the buyer we were expecting we got a 90 but brad has been so high on him uh this fall, I mean, we were higher on this horse in the summer. Last summer, you know, we nominated him to the Preakness, you know, paid the 150000 We almost kind of had to drag Brad there. And then once he got back from his surgery, he's like, he's been dragging us. Brad's been just so high on, you know, training as good as any horse we've ever had and, and that. So we had a lot of confidence going into the race. Now, when we planned, you know, mapped out his spring, um, races we'd never expected the race back to come up as uh, difficult as it did but um we we very confident going in we told the horse to beat and what happens next what are what is the plan for the next uh the next few weeks and months we will ship him back down to the fairgrounds to finish his training um the weather's a little better down there than oakland the other uh, thing is there's a clinic at LSU that if something happened and he had a relapse of his colic, we would be more close where Hot Springs does not have a clinic. So we will continue his training down there. And we're pointing to the Oakland Handicap. Uh, last fall, Brad mapped it out. He's like, I want to have a you know allowance race at the fairgrounds, go to the Razorback, go to the Oakland Handicap, and if all things go well, then that mile. So we're halfway through the progression, and so far so good. 
When did you have a feeling with Warriors Charge that you might have something special on your hands? So it's interesting. We were told even before he got to Brad that this horse was training incredibly well down in Ocala with the McCaffin brothers. And they they told Liz that he had trained as good as any horse they've ever had on the form, on their farm. And I told Liz, like, you know, they did train American Pharaoh down there. She's <laughs> like, I know, but that's what they're telling me. So, and so not to get your expectations too high, you know, he, he gets to Brad. He had a few issues. He got cast in his stall. He got uh, sick and lost 100 pounds right a week before he was supposed to debut. So we kept having these little setbacks. We finally got him to where we thought he was ready to make his debut in November. Everything's going well. You know, we're sky high. And he runs a good third on debut. So, I mean, you know, a little proof of that, you know, he had some talent, but, you know, thought he might be one that would be capable of winning first out. And then, you know, he trained well coming out of that. We've done an opening weekend in Oakland, and he, you know, runs third again and a made special with sprinting. I think he went six and a half first time out and went six the first time at Oakland. So we're scratching our heads a little bit. You know, this horse has been hyped. I mean, Brad didn't quite the hype, but he probably never was as high on the horse as, you know, we were hearing from the farm. But, you know, we're scratching our heads a little bit like, hmm. And then it took him two more tries to break his maiden. So, you know, our expectations were tempered a little bit. But I think we were like pulling our head out trying to figure out what is this horse because he's bred like a sprinter. If you look at him physically downhill, he's, big he looks like a sprinter he doesn't look like a horse that wants to route but as soon as we got him to a mile and a 16th you know he wins his maiden special weight by six lengths around a really big number and then you were there for his allowance yep. race on Arkansas every weekend and he wins by six and a half like a good thing so you know then you know uh, start thinking well maybe they were right all along and this horse has a lot of talent and that's what you know encouraged us to make the big move of trying to go to the Preakness so that's kind of the backstory, but I mean, it's been up and down our confidence, but you know, in the back of my mind, we've always thought he was supposed to be a good horse. You mentioned Liz, of course, your racing manager, Liz Crow, who's been on these airwaves many times. Tell the listeners about your partnership with her, how you guys got together and, and how your relationship works now that she's become a, a superstar in this business. Right. So, I met Liz, I need to even go back and look at the year. I met Liz when she was an assistant for uh, Peter Bradley. I had a, a few horses through Pete and some of his partnerships, most notably Day at the Spa. We, um, she had just uh, started working for Pete. I think she came from Owen Hardy and was just learning her early steps education of being a bloodstock agent with Pete. And she did you know some of the client relations, so we became really tight. And we saw from the early in her career how talented she was, her passion, and the way she connected not only with people but with the horses. So when we started dreaming of having our own partnership, we learned a lot of things from you know, Pete's group, and we wanted to take it in a different direction and kind of focus uh, you know, through Oakland. You know, Liz was an obvious person to um, connect with to you know, buy our horses. She, we started out buying horses in the thirty to fifty thousand dollar range, and that was below you know where Pete was concentrating his business. So she got to 
buy horses. She was still looking for people that had to buy horses for us and not have to go through anybody else. So she was effectively our private bloodstock agent. And then she started having a little bit of success. You know, she decided to go off on her own. And, you know, she asked us, would you support me when I go out on my own? And I said, absolutely. I mean, we know how talented she is. And, you know, it was a good, uh, it was a good fit. Fantastic. And it sounds like you're still able to get all the attention that, uh, that you've had all the way along as her star has continued to rise. That's impressive to me. Yeah, I mean, I think she, uh, it's a special connection, both of us, because she feels a lot of uh, loyalty to us. And we, you know, gave her her first start. We gave her her first orders. So, I mean, yeah, she has bigger clients now, but I mean, we talk to her multiple times a day. We have a constant text group going. So there's a lot of back and forth. So we know what she's looking at, where her head's at. So um, it's very helpful for us. You know, we got in early with Liz Pro. We got in early with Brad Cox. And he had 20 or 30 horses. So, you know, as their stars have grown, they have loyalty to the people that were with them from the beginning. Yeah, it makes It makes perfect sense. Ten Strike's a little bit different of a partnership than many. This is not a big public partnership. This is, from what I conceive, the times I've spent around you, it's basically uh, you and your friends and an excuse uh, to bring some other owners in so you can be part of more horses. Are you pleased with the way that Ten Strike has grown over the course of the next few years, and where do you see it going in the future? That's, that's a great question. We're certainly pleased with what it's grown to. I mean, we, we had no idea at the beginning it would even become as large as it is. The beginning began, Marshall and I had been partnered on horses since 2009 or 10. And we had friends come up to us at Oakland and say, we see you guys are having some success. Can we partner with you? So, you know, we originally started having a friend or two. And we didn't even run the Ten Strike banner. It was just our names. And uh, you know, what would happen is, you know, they would tell a couple of their friends and it kind of mushroomed from there. We really had no vision of what it would become, and so it's kind of had it's kind of just grown organically. Uh, a vast majority of the people that are members have come through, you know, a friend uh, or acquaintance of some of those original members. We do have a few out-of-state people now that have seen, you know, called us up and you know, kind of basically cold called us. We don't really advertise. We don't seek partners. And our only advertising is through you, Pete. That's you know, <laughs> because of our friendship we've had in a long time. But, um, you know, it, it's different. We don't do this as an occupation. We don't mark up our horses. This is just to draw people into the game. And, you know, it, it allows Marshall and I a chance to control more horses than we would if it was just the two of us. But we don't we don't view this as a business for us to make money. I mean, cause as I said, these are our friends. We don't feel like you know, we should be making money off our friends. We would be doing this, you know, on our own anyway. So um, what can this turn into? I don't know. We don't, we still have conversations like what, what, what should we do with this? But, you know, right now we're content just to keep it the size we are and for it to be the size of business. Much of them don't have day jobs. So, you know, it's hard for us to grow it much more because, you know, we don't have 100% focus on the business. Right. There's a limit. There's, there's only a certain amount of hours in the day. But I would say that you've been very successful using Ten Strike as a marketing arm, essentially, for horse racing. 
giving people a way to get involved and look no further than those win photos from the other day in Warriors Charge. And, you know, that stuff gets out on social media and it's just the kind of thing that's going to make people, I think, want to be involved. How many did you have in there the other day? You know, uh, I joked with a friend on, so on Saturday, I believe we had around 100 for something National's race on Saturday. And I told a friend so, uh, Monday when I saw him, I was like, come on out to the winner's circle. He's like, oh, I don't you know, look at a lot of people. I was like, look, we're going to have 100 people out there. What? What? Who cares if it's 102? The <laughs> Oakland media told me they counted over 200, so I was off by a factor of two on, uh, on how many people were out there. And I don't know if you heard Vic, but he asked, you know, he said, where is charges entering the, the winner's circle if he has room? That's um, funny. You know, we, we take a lot of pride in that. I mean, you know, horse racing has, you know, taken uh, some licks this year, uh, you know, not it's not popular everywhere, but it is popular at Oakland. And we try to get, you know, friends of friends, you know, find them down there. I mean, if, if you saw the looks on these people's face after the race and the joy, I mean, that's why we do this. I mean, it's a lot of work for no pay for us to do this, but just seeing everyone's reaction and the emails and texts I've gotten in the last few days, I mean, it makes it worth it. That's great. Now, a lot's been talked about in the racing press about Marshall and his backstory. Of course, Marshall being Marshall Graham, the the college professor economist quoted in all these places. But I want to hear more about your backstory, Clay, because I actually don't think I've ever had the that basic conversation all racing friends have at some point. How did you get involved in horse racing in the first place? So I grew up in Arkansas in a little town in North Arkansas named Mount Home. And uh, I think one of the main reasons Oakland is so popular to racing fans is it is the major league sport of Arkansas. Outside of the Razorbacks, it's what people like to do. So my parents, just like a lot of people in Arkansas, would go once or twice a year to Oakland, you know, for entertainment. They liked the horses, et cetera. They were $2 better. They'd buy the sheet on the way in. But watching the, as a kid, watching the horses race and, you know, Getting a handful of two dollar exactors and getting sixty or seventy dollars back—I mean, it just—it it resonated with me. I mean, I thought it was the coolest place on earth. <laughs> I still—I don't—I don't remember a lot of things from my childhood, but I remember making my first win bet on Temperance Hill. I don't remember <laughs> if it was the Arkansas Derby or Oakland Handicap, but I mean, it's vivid in my memory of winning that race. So, you know, just going to the races was something I thought was exciting. I had a roommate in college that grew up in Hot Springs. He's the one that taught me how to handicap, how to um, read the racing forum, and, you know, started understanding a little bit of how um, how the races, you know, how to bet a race or how to um, investigate a race, analyze it. My sister actually uh, is very, a very brilliant person herself. Uh, would teach me a few things. She was very rudimentary, but she would just get the program, start teaching me some things about what to look at. And, uh, you know, just putting the puzzle together was always something that interested me. So when I got out of college, a lot of my friends, you know, started playing golf on Saturdays, and I'm a terrible golfer. So <laughs> I, when they would go to the golf course, I would go over to Southland across the river in Arkansas and bet the horses. And, <laughs> you know, started looking at computer programs 15 years ago, trying to come up with methodologies to make money at uh, horse racing. So um, that's effectively what got me into the game. Never dreamed of owning horses. Um, How did that come in? Here, 
So my boss here at work uh, is a big racing fan as well. And we would take a trip to Saratoga every summer and, you know, love ambiance of Saratoga and, you know, just thought that Saratoga was, I mean, if you grow up going to Oakland and see Saratoga, you're like, wow, this racing is supposed to be. So, um, you know, we've been going up there like 10 years and, uh, we met a doctor from Birmingham that actually grew up in Hot Springs that introduced us to Kenny McPeak. And uh, three months later, we were lost a couple of yearlings, and that kind of started our entry and my entry into horse racing from an ownership perspective. And uh, I met Marshall around the same time, maybe six months later. He was giving a speech at a chartered financial analyst meeting here in Memphis. And he mentioned that he was one of the leading researchers on uh, gambling and markets. So, and, you know, he mentioned horse racing. So after the um, speech, I went up and you know, introduced myself and said, we need to grab lunch. And uh, we became fast friends and, you know, uh, we own a ton of horses together. He's the godfather of my daughter. So it's come a long way in a short amount of time. I want to talk a little bit more about handicapping. You mentioned looking at computer programs back then. What were, what kind of computer programs were you looking at? Is And is that still something that you use on the handicapping side? How has your handicapping evolved over time? So the first computer program I ever used was through BritNet. Always, I can't even remember exactly. This was Always is a program. Ago. That's definitely something that, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know if it's still maintained, but I've heard of that. And it's, it's right. And, you know, it got me to focus on speed and turn time and, you know, those kind of processes. Um, I've looked at HTR, I've subscribed to that for a couple of years. Uh, Black Magic, I look at, but I'm more of a generalist from a handicapping perspective. I look at everything. I mean, I look at thoroughbreds, I look at, uh, um, you know, uh, Timeform US, uh, DRF, computer programs. And, you know, I try to put it all together. And it's, I don't rely on one thing, but I want to have a complete picture of a race and, you know, design it, you know, a lot of things that you guys talk about. And, you know, so there might be one thing I pick up from looking at all the different uh, things and, you know, it points me in the right direction. How much do you use handicapping for your role at 10 Strike, if at all? I would say the handicapping helps us identify stallions quicker than most. As you know, we've been fans of money, which dovetails nicely with Warriors Charge. It helps us, you know, identify stallions that we're interested in when we're shortlisting horses. So, you know, we're very interested in winning dirt races, uh, route races, which money isn't necessarily going to um, point you in that direction, but you know, he, you know, a lot of you have to look at more than just the stallion and, you know, what goes on underneath. But I would say it helps us in identifying prospects. It also helps us in placement. And we have a lot of back and forth with our trainers about where we're going to place our horses. We're very involved, uh, you know, in that pro- part of the process. So, I mean, it, it certainly doesn't hurt anything in the condition books. Um, all those things are important back and forth. You know, people ask me, being an owner, what helps, how does it help you as a handicapper? I mean, it helps you mentally. There's things that you pick up on talking to trainers, talking to racing secretaries, looking at condition books that the average Joe looking at a PT is not going to be aware of. So it helps immensely. 
That sounds interesting, especially the bit about the condition book. How, yeah. what's an, can you think of an example of something that you've seen from your time inside as an owner that's, that's helped you on the handicapping side? I mean, there, there's several. I, I would say when I first started out uh, as the younger handicapper, uh, not fully understanding the difference so when you're looking at claim, when you're looking at cheaper claiming races, I mean it's intuitive to a high level handicapper the difference between say a seventy five thousand three life and a seventy thousand five thousand seventy five hundred four life. But as a novice handicapper, you see the claim price and you might not necessarily think much about the life condition. But when you own horses and you know it took you two times to get through the three life condition, but it took you five times to get through the four life, but there's a significant step up in each of those going from two life, three life to four life. So as you, you know, work your horse through conditions, you kind of get that feel for where the sticking points are, where the bigger jumps in class are, track to track, uh, even within a track where the, where the talent lies. But, you know, you're seeing things, you know, why, why sometimes a horse will be entered for 50,000, like a maiden 50. Why, why was why did the owner why did the trainer put a horse there? Well, maybe they're trying to pick up an extra condition. If you go from maiden special weight, once you win, you go straight to a you know first level allowance. You start at maiden fifty, you pick up an extra condition going to that starter fifty, and then getting the, the in one egg. So little things like that that you know a handicapper's not going to have in the back of their mind of how to con, you know work a horse through conditions because you know, when you own a horse, especially from the claiming side, the conditions are the value of that horse. And, you know, you're, you know, putting economic levels of each of those conditions and how you work through it. You know, when you claim a horse, that's an open horse. I mean, there's really hardly any place you can go, you know, except another open race. So you just have to think about the whole picture and what is that trainer? What is that owner trying to do with that individual horse? And you'll see that with some of the bigger outfits that have a lot of claiming horses Watch how they manage that horse as they walk them through their condition versus you know, an owner that doesn't think about it the same way. I mean, you'll see them managed a lot differently. It sounds like the kind of thing where it helps you just tell the story of the horse when you're looking through the PPs and maybe gives you a deeper understanding of where the horse is in its journey that might inform uh, a bet that you might want to make or not make on the individual. Sure. No, I mean, and, you know, we talk about trainers and win percentages and, you know, there's a lot of talk uh, here and there <laughs> about winning percentages, but you'll notice how the, some of the higher percentage guys, how they manage their horses. And, you know, you, you, some of the low percentage outfits do not manage their horses properly. They don't know how to read the condition book. So, you know, there's a lot of things that go on in the game, but that is certainly something to be very aware of. As you've gotten more involved on the ownership side, has your betting on racing increased, decreased, or stayed the same? No, it's certainly increased. But, you know, I mean, some of that is just development and your bankroll and confidence, but it certainly has increased. Um, and, and, you know, I probably am a lot more spot playing versus, you know, grinding and playing every single race. I mean, I think that's a mistake most horse players play playing too many races and you know you when you see uh like for instance sunday or monday making a big bet on where stars where you have more information you make a big bet you know it resonates that hey you know maybe i should you know make my plays a lot more spot or you know size my bets more appropriately and i think every horse player deals with that so hard time to time. <laughs> it's so hard. you know 
you know, between, I mean, look, we're all action junkies. I mean, if, if, if you're an owner, you're a gambler, you're looking for that action. So you have to constantly remind yourself to play uh, your better opinions, play them a lot heavier than just your, hey, I want to be dead because I'm all about your race. Or, you, know, you don't have a strong opinion. But I think we all deal with that. But, you know, just those lessons come back time and time again. I want to hear more about how the business model has evolved in terms of what types of horses you were targeting at the in the early days of 10 strike or even that pre 10 strike era as opposed to what you're trying to do now when you're working with Liz and Brad and and dealing with these sales what what are some of the lessons you've learned along the way so when we first started out, a lot of it was based on budgetary reasons. We were in the claiming game. I think it's easier from a you know, you know, we didn't have a huge bankroll, so we had to make money. You know, with owning horses, we, you know, we don't come from you know, hey, we're going to just put tons of money in every year and hopefully do okay. So we started out, you know, at the bottom level claiming horses because that's what we knew. That's what we had a profitable business model but when we started bringing in partners we were like well we can expand our buying power we wanted to play with the younger horses kind of control them from beginning to end and you know trying to you know figure out if we could develop a horse and can we develop a horse profitably so we started out buying horses in the 20 to 50,000 range in the as yearlings and two-year-olds yeah, you know, we quickly learned that you know there's a lot more advanced uh, with a young horse than with a claiming horse. Uh, you also have a lot more time to develop. Where you make a bad claim, either you retire it or you you know drop it, and the horse is gone. But you have a young horse, you know it just takes time. You're paying bills, but uh, we quickly figured out there are diamonds in the haystack. Uh, you can get in the lower ranges, but. Our partners, the message that we continually hear is they want to get the big horse. They want to have a Saturday afternoon horse. You know, the thing that a lot of people struggle with, you know, it's, you know, they have to travel for racing. When you have a horse that's not a state horse, trying to plan in advance, you don't know when the horse, you know, you can kind of figure out in the condition book, but the race might be on Wednesday, the race might not go. It's really hard to plan a trip or plan a weekend around a lower tier horse. So, you know, and a lot of these people, you know, they, they're fans of racing, so they want to have a horse that they read about in the racing form, et cetera. So we've had to evolve. We've started to buy higher-end horses. We've partnered with other people. with So we have our partnership, and then we've partnered with other partners to try to increase our um, purchase price because, you know, we, we've done the data. We've done the work that we realize what price points are the best to try to find stake horses. Um so, I mean, there's a lot of analysis and a lot of thought goes into it, what we're looking for, you know, between the yearlings, two-year-old sales. The, the latest involvement is we've tried to buy more yearlings or all yearlings and try to put them in our program as early as possible um, and develop the horses on our own. We've had mixed results with two-year-olds. Um, you just don't know who they had on how, much, how hard they've been pushed and part of their development process. So, we try to back up a little bit and control that ourselves. Um, we're really excited about the two-year-old crop we have right now. Uh, you've done some work with us on our uh, podcast for our partners, and we couldn't be more excited about the, the about our new group. Uh, knock on wood, we haven't had any setbacks so uh, so far. So I'm excited to hear what happens with that group. That was fun. Yeah, we did a private podcast, which 
I think the allotment is sold out, but if folks wanted to reach out to you and hear a little bit more about this group of horses, I, I would imagine that link could still be shared with them. What's the best way for folks to reach out to you, Clay, if they're interested in hearing that or talking to you further? Sure. They can reach out to me on, uh, at pinstrike racing at gmail.com. Drop me an email. And, uh, if they want to talk in person or they want to listen to the podcast, love to share it with them. A couple of things I want to hit on before I let you get on with your day today. One, you mentioned the NHC before we didn't get to see you there this year, but I know that you are a big believer in handicapping contests as another way to potentially grow the game. Have you been playing in many and what, what are your general thoughts right now? Are you as excited about them as ever as, as a tool to help promote racing? Oh, absolutely. I, I love uh, the tournaments. Uh, I love the cash tournaments. Uh, I, I'm not a big fan of the $2 win place online tournaments for multiple reasons, but I love uh, going to, you know, Keeneland or Saratoga, Belmont for their big cash tournaments. Uh, and I'm going to be playing those races anyway, and you get the added bonus of the, um, the extra EV of the, you know, the prizes and the entries into the BCBC or NHC. But you know, I, and I just don't get to grind out as much. I have a three-and-a-half-year-old so, and, and running <laughs> chin strike. I don't get to play as many as I would like to. But, no, I certainly play five, six, seven uh, cash tournaments a year. Uh, I should have qualified for NHC last year at Saratoga. Uh, on the Friday contest, uh, I was one away from the, uh, the NHC spot. And my score, I think it was a 500 buy-in on Friday. And that my score would have been second for the thousand dollar buy in on Saturday, but it just everybody jumped up in the last race and it just oh, blew that's frustrating. Yeah. <laughs> I, everyone knows if you were at the NHC this year, you know what that feeling is like. Oh yeah, that's right. Things went a little bit crazy there on day two, and I also just wanted to ask you a little bit more about your day job. It did sound like you use some of the data analysis skills on the racing side, but what do you let folks know a little bit more about what you do day to day? I'm the uh, trading risk manager for FHM Financial in Memphis. Uh, we're a nationwide uh, fixed income trading operation. We sell bonds to uh, insurance companies, banks, municipalities. And we have 60 traders spread throughout the country. And my job is to manage the risk of all the 60 traders put together. So there's a lot of spreadsheets, Bloomberg analysis, uh, modeling. So it's the exact same stuff we use. I mean, not the exact same, but the same concepts we use for handicapping horses. So you're taking a lot of data and trying to distill it down to numbers that other people can understand and make decisions. So they're, they're very similar. It really does sound like there's a ton of overlap. Well, Clay, we're going to have you back on soon. Maybe we'll have you on the other show. We'll dive a little bit deeper on the handicapping side, put you to work picking some horses or something. But I want to thank you very much for your time today. Great to get the Warriors charge update and great to hear a little bit more about you. All right. Thanks, Pete. Appreciate it. Okay, now we're going to head down Laurel Parkway, and the next voice you hear will be that of Naomi Tucker. Jerry O'Dwyer joins me here at Laurel Park in his barn, where we're going to have a little tour going over all of his current stable stars. Jerry, who are we standing next to right here? We're standing next to a three-year-old filly here called Roma Delight. She's been uh, running well in the maiden 25 category. She's been lots of seconds and thirds, so she's paying her way, and it's probably more of a turf filly. Really honest, we might try send her down to Turfway and give her a run over the poly track there and just see if she takes it because her mum was pretty uh, good on the poly track. 
This is a nice three-year-old filly by Stay Thirsty out of what will be. So it makes her a half-sister to nice Maryland bred, always mining. So she is uh, just back in training. She did her second three-eighths there today. Just win that 37 and three, coming along nicely. It won't take her too long to get there. For anyone who didn't watch racing here at Laurel Park last Saturday, always mining one that John B. Campbell with an incredible stretch duel basically outlasting Monongahela, which was very impressive. So it's nice to have the half-sister, you said? Half-sister, yeah. Half-sister to him in the barn here. Yeah, she's a nice, sweet girl and coming along nicely. Hope you'll be just as good as your big brother, huh? (laughs) Yeah. She's half as good, we'll be happy. There is Need Supervision in a regular spot. She ran the other day under Barbara Fritchie. She ran fourth, seemed to come out of it good. I did think she would have uh, performed a little bit better. No, we just got to go back to the drawing board and figure her out. I remember we talked about her beforehand. She had that incredible piece of work which made her look completely ready to go. Do you think there is any explanation for her? I wouldn't say lackluster performance because she still ran well. She just didn't win. Yeah, yeah, I suppose. I don't know. I mean, she always she'll she always breezes and she good and she always looks like a good filly when she breezes. So. It's it's hard to put my finger on anything as such. I mean, she's moving great, and then she'd been breezing good going into the race. How did she come out of the race? Very good. Very good, yeah, she's 100%. She's been out on the track already? Yeah, she was out there this morning. The last two days she's been out there galloping, and she's in good spirits. Well, we're looking forward to seeing her out on the track again next time. This is a Sky Scanner, a lovely three-year-old, just coming back into training by uh, Bernardini. He broke his maiden going five and a half here at Laurel. And then I ran him in the sapling stakes at Mammoth going a mile on his second start. And he was a, a fast closing second. Uh, he was just beat. So we've had him a little bit of time off, give him a bit of chance to mature and grow up. As you can see, he's a big boy. But he's just back galloping there now easy. And uh, hopefully we'll have him ready for a nice summer campaign. This is Amen Corner, who ran in the stake the weekend at Laurel. A very happy with him he ran a nice fourth on only his third start taking on some seasoned horses first time stretching out went to one turn mile so we're just going to take our time and bring him along slowly maybe i don't know where we're going to go next maybe another little stake or i wouldn't mind an allowance for him and try him going around two turns it was a very good renewal of the miracle wood stakes and he definitely ran well he's by malibu moon he's by malibu moon yeah you know we don't we don't have him that long i mean running in the miracle wood that was he's like he's third run in like six weeks you know so he'd come a long way he only started running in a three-year-old career and he ran fourth first time out then he came back three weeks later and won and he really had to lay it down that day because the nice horse ferris allen's uh put it up to met him work for the whole way down the lane and uh he pulled it out uh he had one breeze back after that and breeze good and uh we ran it back three weeks later again you know so it's just we just took a chance because he'd been training good not ideal he didn't let us down. He put up a good performance, and we'll just back off him a little bit now and let him grow up and get a little stronger and uh, go back to war with him. Very nice horse that won the Miracle Wood, leapt a huge colt uh, trained by Claudio Gonzalez. He's very impressive in the paddock, so that, that was a good performance. It, it was, it was, and there's some nice horses in there. Very proud of him. This is VIP Ticket. He's a nice West Virginia sired and Maryland bred. He's been very good to us. We gave him a little bit of break over the winter. He's just coming back now. And hopefully he'll be ready to run here next month uh, in an allowance. But yeah, he's 
he's a very nice horse come back bigger and stronger since he's a little vacation so uh, he's going to be an exciting four-year-old to have in the barn what is his ideal distance you think i he's he's very versatile i mean he was uh third in the stake at pimlico last year going to mile in the 16th he broke his maiden going six he's been around charlestown going six six and a half i mean he's been just killing those um west virginia breads down there well i think you know i'll probably start him back over six or seven give him a run and I'm not opposed to stretching him back out. He can go two turns, that horse. Here is the newest addition to Your the barn. Baby. <laughs> <laughs> he just got in uh, yesterday afternoon. Two-year-old by Secret Circle. He's a Maryland bred out of a big brown mare. We bought him at Timonium last year. He had his first day to the big boys track today, and he did very good. Okay. Went around there like a little professional. Came up from South Carolina, from good friends of ours. that run Mason Springs down there in Aiken. They just do a fabulous job. Horses are bomb-proof when they come in. They just do such a good job of educating them and, and getting these horses very sweet and happy and going forward. And had him out there this morning. You wouldn't, you'd never think it was his first day on the track, on the big track, anyway. Is he going to get any more friends soon? Uh, hopefully, yeah. He could do with a <laughs> companion here now just to get him going. But uh, he's the earliest mature type of two-year-old that I have at the moment. We have um, four or five more in the farm that are just a little bit behind maturity wise and uh we're just going to give them a little bit more time before to bring them in that's the big, the big horse <laughs> as we like to call it right now shotsky got plenty of shavings in his tail he's after having a nice roll since he got back in after training he's just getting done up there by his groom and he takes good care of him and uh he's in a very good place right now is the plan still to move forward to the fountain of youth yes that's the plan uh he'll have his last breeze this weekend and uh, he'll fly down to Gulfstream. Johnny Velasquez is booked to ride him down there as uh, Luis Saez is uh, going to be in Saudi Arabia that weekend. When do you ship him down? I'm going to give him his last breeze here and then he'll probably ship down on Sunday. So that'll be like six days before the race. And we'll just train him lightly down there over the Gulfstream track. He'll jog and gallop. Won't have any breeze down there. I'll just finish all his uh, serious work here in his home track at Laurel where... You know, he knows the place well and the surface good and, and everything. You mentioned beforehand that you like to actually ship down horses the day of the race, but that's, I'm assuming, when they're not flying? Yeah, but when and when they're not so far away. You know, it's it's different, uh, you know, if you got to go a distance. Like, even if when we're shipped down to Kentucky, we'll always go, you know, two or three days beforehand, let them have a jog around the track, settle in and stuff like that. Um, but when we go to New York from Laurel here, I don't mind going up the morning of the race for our ship. Uh, we leave nice and early when traffic is quiet and then they go up and then they just relax for the day. Sounds good. <laughs> this here is a three-year-old filly called Rocks that I got. She's my favourite. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, well, she's hopefully, she's everybody in the barn kind of likes her. She's been doing well, coming along in our breezes. She'll probably breeze out of the gate here on Saturday. We just jumped her out there this morning to make sure she's ready to come out of there and she left the gates there very well this morning. Very smart filly. Uh, anything you teach her, she remembers it and, and takes a step forward from it. She's by American Pharaoh. Are you planning on starting her out on the dirt or on the turf? Oh, on, on the dirt. Uh, even though like probably a lot of her pedigree would suggest she's a turf filly, but I mean, she goes so well over the dirt. I'd have no uh, issue or problems running on the dirt anyway. Who named her? Uh, my wife, Alison. She's uh, 
the, we have a deal I can buy him and she can name him so uh, <laughs> she does it's a good name <laughs> it is. she's very good at uh, picking names and uh, every one she's named has been a winner so uh, I'm not going to stop her now no <laughs> uh, this year is Carousel Marriage uh, last out winner here going a mile at Laurel she's having a little rest in her stall as you can see but she you know she's done well she's come forward from every race uh, I mean she's no superstar but she's very um, consistent you know she's been training good and she's a very happy filly since she won uh, I think she knows she's won she's got a lot of confidence in herself right now and she's you know getting to be a little bit more of a handful riding and not in a bad way but she's just letting you know that she's alive and well do you think the key to horses like her is good placement, picking the race as well? Oh, absolutely. I, I think the key to not even horses like her, I think any horses placing them in the right spot where they're going to be the dominant force in that race, you know, just they're puffs, up, puffs them up a little bit. Well, I remember her in the paddock in her last race at Laura and she was towering over them class-wise. So I thought that was a very good placement of you there. <laughs> Thank you very much. And here is Ilchester Cheetah who's done very well for the stable since we bought her from the two-year-old sale in Timonium last year. She's uh, a winner of four races. She won her maiden special weight. She won allowance optional claiming. She won another claiming race. And she won an A other than the last day. So uh, she's entered in aqueduct and allowance optional claiming on Friday. And we're going to let her take her chance there because we're running out of spots for her. And she's a New York bred as well. So... We'll see. She's very versatile and very fast. Hopefully, she gives a good account of herself up there. How do you think their form at Loro or the circuit here stacks up when going to, for example, Aqueduct, a bit of a deeper surface? Well, that's always a concern, you know, the deeper surfaces at Aqueduct itself. It is a bit of a concern. I wouldn't like it to be as deep. I'd like to see a little bit of rain in the forecast or something like that, you know, just to tighten the track up a bit. Because she's... She's gone on a lot of different surfaces. She's ran on the fast track. She's ran an off track. She's versatile in that sense. But I think I'd like the track to be a little bit faster just to help her carry her speed. You know, she's usually very forwardly placed. Good feeling filly. Look, I think we'll let her take her chance there on Friday and see how she comes out of it. We're going to make our way around the corner. Hello, Kerry. This is Kerry. Kerry's here, got her Magna Wave machine. She's just after doing rubber bob. Talking about Fergal Lynch, I know that you guys actually ridden together back in England uh, we did yeah I'll, the odd the odd couple of rides that I did have I suppose uh, Fergal was around but Fergal has always been a very good rider high profile rider wherever he's been he's a valuable asset to any trainer with the feedback he can give you after getting off a horse which I think is very important uh, for me now I don't ride as, ride as much as I used to um, you know having somebody who's on their back that can tell you what you're seeing or what you're not seeing is invaluable and he's one of the few that I've that I have a lot of faith in when he does tell me something he's usually right well you do breeze some of them still don't you oh I do I still like I still like getting up in them you know and uh I'll probably breeze Shotsky here the weekend myself but uh I know I do I do like breezing them but I mean we've got plenty of good guys here and I try use them a lot and uh, I'll definitely have a sit in a horse myself if I can't figure out or if I want to see what I'm feeling you know or feel what I'm seeing talking about breezing shots here over the weekend is he gonna breeze in company I don't know yet but what I am going to do is I'm going to breeze him from the gate I know that much I'm going to breeze him from the gate so that that way he'll get out there and have a nice work uh, he'll probably just breeze a half mile but just a nice sharp half mile from the gate we'll just monitor the weather it'll be Friday or Saturday it'll be one of those two days
Right, guys, get out to Laurel. No, this is not a cool dude. This is my friend's beer. He's probably the smallest horse we have in the barn, but he's uh, he's got plenty of talent. He's a nice Maryland bred. Uh, he's won his maiden. He was second in an allowance here the last day. Breezed very good the other day. We plan on running him allowance here on the 23rd. Yeah, I remember seeing him that morning. He puts in a lot of effort in his breezes, doesn't he? He, he does. He does. I mean, he just loves everything about being a racehorse he loves training he loves being around people he loves eating he loves biting yeah he loves playing <laughs> he'll like grab you it like he's no mean he has a jolly ball that he plays with he just loves everything about being a racehorse i mean he's you'd love a barn for like him his attitude his demeanor his willingness how know. did you get him i bought him at obs two-year-old in training sale for twenty-five thousand. And he's a half-brother to a very good sprinter called this is Shamrock Rose. He is not as fast as her, but he's <laughs> <laughs> he's a cool little horse to have, and he's going to be a lot of fun to have, especially being a Maryland bred as well. Talking about buying two-year-olds, you do your own selection. What are you looking for when you're selecting these two-year-olds to go to your barn? What is the type that you like? I guess everybody has a type, but uh, I just like them not over big i don't really tend to go for these big monstrous horses that look like big monstrous two-turn horses i like to look for a nice athletic horse um medium size lovely smooth way of going you know you get you can there's a lot of information available for you nowadays um i'll watch everyone under if i'm going to the funeral sale i'll watch everyone at the breeze videos and i got to like the way they move across the track no matter how fast they go they got to have a nice smooth action for me and um, you know you you'll be talking to people and see get information of how they behave before the breeze, how they behaved after it. Uh, you can get all the gallop out times and watch all the videos. There's so much information for you. It's a lot of work, but it's it's enjoyable work. You know when it when it pays off and you look around your barn and you realize you've got some nice horses at some nice value. Uh, again, it comes back to the people you buy them from. You know what mm-hmm. outfit they come from. You know, uh, likes of those good guys, those top guys that have been doing it for years. You know, I don't want to, I'm going to leave lots of names out, but like Niall Brennan, I worked for him and, and uh, I'd buy a horse off him in a heartbeat, you know, because he gives you genuine information of what the horse has done. If it's a ship in from the farm, he'll tell you. No BS with the guys. You got to build up a rapport with a lot of those guys and know you can trust them. And, and they understand that if they tell you lies one time and you find out you know, you're not going to go back so it's got to be a bit of trust and that they give you the right information and they tell you as much information as they can about the horse but anytime I buy a two-year-old I like to bring them into the track straight away assess them myself and then decide if they need time off or if they're ready to go on with what do you think of the new whip rules at the two-year-old sales I think it's great I don't think uh anybody giving a horse a smack if they need it for uh, correction purposes or anything like that but you know they're two-year-olds you don't need to fry their brain like smacking them there for an eighth of a mile down the lane i do wish for the two-year-old sales i'd just love to see them like open gallop you know if everybody did that i think it'd be better for the horse some people agree with me some people won't but then again now the way i'm doing it now you, you got to see them go fast because that's what everybody is doing so if a horse goes slow you know somebody's not going to come up to you and say well uh, that was by design you know it's not that's not the way it is kip elster from kirkwood they've done a good thing i think going to gulfstream gallop so they'll go down to the gulfstream sale uh with horses bought specifically just to like open gallop down the lane and uh, and i mean 
you get to see the horses you know you get to see their action you get to see how they cover the ground and and i think you know for a lot of good horsemen that's all they really need to see for some of our handicappers when a horse gets claimed and claimed back that surely is a good sign depends on who claims them back if they're claiming them back for sentimental purposes or for ability purposes yeah look it, it is if you see especially a claiming horse and he keeps getting claimed by one person or another person and gets claimed plenty you know he's usually a pretty solid horse and they're usually running him in in the right spot where he's very competitive the whole time for european listeners or someone that isn't as familiar with the claiming game in the u.s how do you think it affects a horse moving from barn to barn uh, some more than others i mean the horses they're, they're fantastic they're just very adaptable they're usually settle into their new place uh, pretty quickly now there is a few exceptions you know you'll see a horse gets claimed at one place and from one guy and maybe the guy other guys train at a farm or off the track and, and they just thrive on that maybe they get turned out and you know some horses tweaking little things revives them you know and and helps them out but uh, i mean the majority of them they just settle right into the new barn that they're in what is the first thing you do once you've claimed a horse ask the owner why do we claim it <laughs> no I, I don't claim a whole lot we do claim a few you know sometimes i get calls to claim one for a brood mare or you want to claim one maybe it looks like it's a runner or it's on the improve or something like that when we claim it you know we just get it back in there you know check it over and uh, you know it'll walk for a couple of days then we'll take it back to the track and we'll just try figure it out and see what it's happiest doing whether it's like jogging a mile and galloping a mile or jogging half a mile and galloping a mile and a half it's little things we just try uh let the horse tell us what his happiest doing this is a three-year-old by candy ride he's a nice big pedigree and he's a nice big horse don't have him that long called reckless life and he's just he just did a three eights this morning actually and went very well he's a big boy we're going to take our time with him and let him get there when he gets there he's not started as you can see he's just a little bit of a playboy he likes to bite a lot but there's no meanness in him at all he's a good ride you get up with him and He's a big strong horse to be on and seems to be dragging you around the place but then you take him out to the track and he just settles right down and stands out and enjoys being out there and enjoys his training. What sort of race would you have in mind starting him out at? I like to start most of mine like going short anyway, uh, sprinting. Even uh, when I first came over, I remember Andrew McKeever telling me he said even if he wanted two turns he'd always give him a run going short and I took me a while to understand why couldn't figure it out but i think it is um, a good idea that um you know you don't send them over a mile in a 16th first time and they're getting tired and then they're getting whipped home and they're drunk coming home like even if he's not a sprinter he'll run over six furlongs he might be a little bit outpaced but at least he'd i'd like to see him you know come home finish up and pass a few horses you know and he gets a little confidence in himself and his first race he's not coming home too tired or too wrecked he's had a good experience and uh i think that's key i think horses definitely need to have a good experience first time out first day of the races all of mine first time out tell the jockey win if you can but the main thing is to give him a good education and don't beat him up so you know you can give him a backhander or two if you're in contention but if you're not just leave him alone you know just educate him there'll always be another day but um you know you have to have the horses over here in america a lot fitter and more prepped for the first start than you do back in europe i believe because uh the pace of the race is a lot faster you have to have them well educated to run away from the gate if they don't get away from the gate running i mean you're going to be 10 lengths out of it and, and it's, you're playing catch up the whole way um 
so yeah they just uh, I think the big thing here is especially young horses educating them like lots of two year olds they're like kids you know what I mean they're naturally fit so you just have to really educate them and you know good gate school and good dirt school and uh, changing their leads swapping their leads just helping them to be the best that they can be like we're getting towards the end now. <laughs> yes, we are. We don't. Uh, this is Reflect, who uh, I recall she won the allowance race for us here yeah. on Sunday. Nice filly. She was, uh, was it second or third in Alcibiades. Second. Yeah, second. Uh, I didn't have her then. Uh, wish I did. But uh, <laughs> they, uh, they, her current owners, they bought her out at a sale in November at uh, Keeneland to be a broodmare. Uh, sent her up to me, and that was her third run for me. I ran her first time at aqueduct and uh, she got a little tired you know her first run back in a while and then she ran a, a, a good game third a strong allowance back here at laurel after that last weekend i guess i finally figured figured out how to train her and uh, she won quite impressively what's the plan moving forward with her we'll, we'll try to get another little bit of black type for her along the way we'll see what's coming up if there's nothing immediately they're suitable for her we might try another allowance race with her I think she can go a little bit further than six furlongs. Uh, like, I wouldn't be opposed to going seven or the one-turn mile here in Laurel or something like that, if something suitable comes up. Um, but she's really after settling in and getting a lot sweeter in her ways. Feet weren't very good when we first got her, so we've worked on those a lot. I mean, they're growing good, and uh, we're very happy with her. It's quite a nice video. What's she buying in Trap Shot? She's by Trap Shot, yeah. She's by Trap Shot. I mean... I think it was a Keith Disarmo. He was the first one to have her, and I'm sure he picked her out of the sales uh, as a yearling or two-year-old. I don't remember when he bought her, but uh, I mean he does a great job in picking nice physicals. You know, he looks for the athlete, and not the pedigree. But I mean, she's got value now as as a broodmare, so that's nice. And uh, I think the long-term plan for her is to go down to Australia really? and be a broodmare down there. Yeah. One of the owners, uh, uh, partners, I guess, in her uh, is Australian. Yes, he is. And this is another little uh, rock star called Punk Rock Princess, who Alison also named from another song. She's a little tiger. She's done very well for us. Um, she's won three races. She was second in the first two-year-old race of the year here at Laurel. She came back out and broke her maiden in her second start. Then she got a little bit of sore shins. So we backed off her. and She's done very well. I mean, she's a very consistent and tough. She's not very big. She's by Bourbon Courage, uh, but she's got the heart of a lion and she runs a bang-up race every time. I know you had her entered in the white country, but she didn't actually end up starting there. Are there any other stakes races you're looking at for her? We'll see a little bit later on. I mean, she's been running real good. I mean, she ran a, an unlucky race at Charlestown, actually, non-winners of four allowance race against older fillies there last week she just was unprepared at the start and she spotted the field about eight lengths and uh, it's not easy to do over six and a half furlongs and she was just beating a length back in second so very proud of her and she ran a huge number that day her probably her best race she's ever run so i think she's steadily improving so we're not gonna pound away in her or overface her until we feel that she's up to it but that's basically it now i think you've been around the whole barn you got to see all the horses and next time you're back i'm sure we'll have a lot more horses in where there's a lot more planned to come in around the first of march how many two-year-olds are you planning on having that i know of i'm gonna have at least six more coming in and then uh, hopefully the phone starts ringing and people says that guy's doing good we better send him some more horses and get another barn full but i love the two-year-olds i love the young horses i love educating them 
love everything about them you know they're untapped unspoiled you don't know how much potential they've got they're just like kids you know what i mean if you raise them right and teach them right they'll give you everything they got and do the best they can for you aside from your three-year-old star Shotsky, who would be the most exciting horse in your barn at the moment well obviously need supervision and give me my first stakes win i mean Amin Corner is probably a nice three-year-old to look forward to as well. VIP Ticket, he's an exciting horse. I mean, he's outrun his pedigree 100 times over, and I think he'll continue to do so. I think he's going to be a very nice older horse. I'd be surprised if he doesn't win a stake by the end of the year. And who's most likely to hit next time out? <laughs> next time out? <laughs> I don't have many entries. I mean, we're after firing a lot of bullets there the first couple of months of the year for six weeks we're only like in sixth or seventh week of the year I mean we had them all ready to go um, uh, my friend's beer I think will be exciting I'll be looking forward to running him it'll be his first time going two turns if he gets the trip I think he'll be very tough in there alright so one to note down in our little black books thank you so much Jerry this has been a pleasure to learn about all the horses you have great stuff Naomi thank you so much Jerry thank you so much also to Clay Sanders most of all, though, I want to thank all of you out there for listening, asking us questions, making these shows so much fun to do. I tell you, this show, more than any of the others I do, I feel like I learn something every week. It's been such a great opportunity to learn more about the inner workings of the business, and we hope you'll keep listening and commenting and agreeing to help us out. We really do appreciate it. This show has been a production of In The Money Media. In The Money Media's business manager is Drew Coatney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Kinchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May the hammer drop your way.